I was 22, weeping, I pondered what they said. I was alone in a London hotel room with a single bed, and it was at the end of an incredible summer. I had spent 10 weeks with a traveling team all around Europe with an evangelistic message. We did street preaching, we did drama, we shared the four spiritual laws, and we had a blast. But it was near the end of that time that two women leaders came up to me, and they rebuked me. They gave me a warning. I laid in the hotel room all by myself with tears coming down my eyes, and I thought, what did they say? They looked at me and they said, we want you to know that we think you're not funny. In fact, your humor can go a bit far, far, and it is not God-honoring. And if you do not bring this before God, it will be detrimental to your future. They were blunt, they were direct, and it penetrated my heart. I, said, I laid in that hotel room with my tears coming down my eyes, and I remember saying, Lord, I want to serve you. You know I love you. I've dedicated and surrendered my life to you. What more do you want? And then the Lord, in his beautiful way, spoke to me, not audibly, but quietly. And he whispered some words. Those women warned me. Their voices was, were used by God to mark my life and get my attention. And boy, did they ever. Warnings, you see, are used by God's sovereignty to grab us and shake us and to stop us and to correct us and rebuke us. It's a way of getting in our grill to stop and examine and do not proceed down the same path. So welcome to a warning message, Warning Sunday. Actually, this is the third warning in our series on the book of Hebrews. The overall theme for the book of Hebrews is Jesus is greater. We've looked at Jesus is greater than angels. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than any high priest. Jesus is greater. And now we stop at this part in the book of Hebrews and we hear a warning and strong language is used. Just be warned about that. Strong language is used both in the very first verse we'll look at and then the very last verse. The very first verse and last verse uses the same word. It says you are blunt or you are listless. And if you push that word, it also means you are an illegitimate child. And then, later the book, the writer for the book of Hebrews uses the word babe in Hebrews chapter 5.13, and it's not with warmth. It means that you are incompetent to care for yourselves. It's a warning passage. And summarized, it is this. Be growing and be aware. Be growing. Initially, you might think to yourself, well, that could be offensive and be personal. That's exactly it. And be aware could also be personal, but it might be incredibly, incredibly discouraging. I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Hebrews. There's uh, copies of the scriptures that are near you, and I want to encourage you to follow, fi follow along. It's on page 1035. It's not just that the book of Hebrews, or the writer for the book of Hebrews, has something that he's a bone to pick we also get warnings in other places of Scripture as well, too. 
The very last book of the Bible is the book of Revelation. It's prophetic literature, and you find warnings to seven different churches, one of them, the church in Smyrna. The writer for the book of Revelation, John, says, wake up, don't fall asleep, and here's a warning too. So we begin in Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. Did you find it there? You'll notice that in some Bibles, the subtitle is Warning Against Falling Away. In other Bibles, the warning, it, the subtitle is this, Warning Against Apostasy, strong language. But you find that in Hebrews 6.4, apostasy. So let's read God's holy word. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because, you're no longer tr- because you no longer try to understand. In fact, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish, or other translations use the word discern, which is a better word, good from evil. Hebrews 6, 1. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taking forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to a public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends or beloved ones, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that we have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He'll not forget your work and the love you have shown to him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you may hope for may be fully realized. We don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. This is a warning. It is for us to hear. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, people to you are precious. People to you are individuals made in your image. People to you have fears and insecurity, and you personally address all of that in your word and by your spirit. People to you are precious, though rebellious, and you have paid for them through the costly shed blood of your one Son, our Lord and Redeemer, Jesus, the perfect human. Help us to have ears ready to hear this message and feet ready to walk with you. Hearts that are open and teachable to the Holy Spirit's prompting for instruction and correcting and rebuking to grow up. 
You've given this warning with a purpose. And for, for those who've fallen, Lord, we pray that you would have mercy. Please, Lord Jesus, bring gospel people, those who are filled with compassion and abounding in Holy Spirit fruit into those that we love. As we walk into holy ground in this morning, this morning, I ask that you would use this message to help us navigate the passage of Scripture, to teach for your glory, and as the powerful word of God is laid bare. We don't want to shy away from the truth, but with compassion, we want to share the gospel. That is so beautiful. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to encourage you to find a bulletin as we do and uh, find a bulletin insert. I think you'll want to make some notes as we walk along this passage of Scripture, this difficult passage of Scripture. And the first warning about grow up, be growing, is connected to this. Grow up, dull and lazy saints. Now, you've got to ask the question, why in the world would he call us dull and lazy? Look at some of the language that's used there beginning in verse 11. Look at some of these words. He uses the words elementary truths, and you need milk, and you're still an infant. That's what supports this idea that we should grow up. And, and the word that's used for discernment means to discern what is the teaching of the righteousness. What is that? Well, it's understanding what the mysteries of Christ are and what it means to be molded into Jesus. Understand this. It is natural to grow physically. It is not inevitable to grow spiritually. Let me repeat that. It is natural to grow physically. It is not inevitable to grow spiritually. We need to, what the author for the book of Hebrews said, is grow in discernment. Question, what is discernment? It's an intensified word. On the positive side, on the positive side, it means to navigate, to look through, to sort through. On the negative side, it means to overjudge or discriminate. Context is key. The idea of sorting. Here's just a word picture for you, okay? I know there's some Twins fans in here, but think that you have baseball cards. And you pull out a baseball card, and it's a 1991 baseball card of Al Newman. He was a utility player who played on the World Series. Big deal. But if you pulled a baseball card for the rookie for the rookie card for Babe Ruth, cha-ching! You see the difference? It means to sort through and to understand. So let me give you a visual illustration that might be helpful. Visual illustration number one, on the bottom of discernment, is diet. And the question is, do you binge on Sunday and purge on Monday? Meaning, do you just take it in this Sunday and there's no spiritual diet the rest of the week. Are you feeding yourself? Are you reading the Word of God? On your own. Nothing can replace that. The next part of the pyramid is one another. Who do you have in your life that you're following Jesus with? Do you have other people who have the guts and the courage and the right and the platform to go, no, 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 no. How are you really doing? How are you and Jesus really doing? And at the top of that is discernment. Discernment. The idea of discernment is, do you have the skills to navigate good versus evil, or as Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher said, 
right and almost right. Now, catch this. It is natural to grow physically. It is not inevitable to grow spiritually. So let me give you an example. Let me just illustrate that for you, okay? This weekend, uh, my wife and I have had the incredible privilege of babysitting our grandson, who's here with us now this morning. He's in the back. Julie, do you want to just stand? Can we help him? We'll, we'll bribe him later. There he is right there. Yeah. Please do not call at 2 o'clock. We're napping, okay? We are napping. But uh, a year ago, we had the opportunity to take part in a one-year-old birthday party with Judah. It was great. I love going to one-year-old birthday parties because one-year-old birthday parties means this, birthday cake. That's what you do when you're one, right? You just say, here's the cake, go for it, we're going to take pictures. Now, if Judah is looking this way at 18, he's got some issues. Can I get an amen? It is natural to grow spiritually. And I can see that in millets or men. We're getting older. But I also saw the fact that it is not inevitable to grow spiritually. And I saw that in my dad. My dad is a good Wisconsin kid. He was born in Watertown, Wisconsin. He grew up in Reeseville, Wisconsin. He went to college in Waukesha, Wisconsin. He worked in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Appleton, Nina, and he loved to fish in Tomahawk, Wisconsin. My dad sat in Lutheran churches like this in the pews for years. He even was on church councils. But I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not God. But I didn't see a lot of spiritual fruit in my dad's life until he was 49 years old. When my dad was 49, he got involved in a Bible study in Minneapolis called Bible Study Fellowship, and he started reading God's Word on his own with other executives. And I saw my dad's life changed. I saw him spiritually grow. And this is one of, the, one of my favorite pictures. It's a guy who lives in Wisconsin and a guy who grew up in Wisconsin, and what do they do? They eat brats. Amen? And my dad said to me the year before he started really failing, he said, I'm ready to go home and meet my Savior. And I know I'm going home because of Jesus. So what are practical growth markers? What are like practical growth markers? Okay, so if, if the warning is grow up, grow up, lazy ones, grow up, if this is the warning, what are like growth markers? Okay, I want to grow, I want to grow. So let me encourage you to go to, to the right of your Bible. Go to the right to 2 Peter chapter 1 on page 1051. I'll give you just a chance to get there. And I want to introduce you to a word that has just been like, whoa, is that what it means? 1 Peter chapter, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 says this, beginning in verse 3. Did you find it there? It says this, He has given His divine power... Everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And this is what just went boom. Like it just opened up and I went, you've got to be kidding me. The word knowledge is a compound word. It means full, fully to know, to know, fully to know. And there's two parts to it. The first part is information of, about, 
and experience with. Both and. You can't separate them. Information about, experience with. You get this. You get this. When people go to a, 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 a play, and you can watch the play on TV, but when you're at the play, and you spend all that money, and you see the set designs, and you see the chorus, and you see the music, and you see the actors, you're in it. You experience it. You know the play, and you experience it. You get the same thing when you go to a ball game. I got to go to Lambeau Field. I know, as a Viking fan, they didn't throw me out. But now I get it. I mean, it's different watching it on the TV than it is being there. I mean, it's the atmosphere. It's all that. That's what it means to not only know about God, but to know him. I hate it when people say, oh, you're religious. No, I know Jesus, and he knows me. I know what makes him grieve. I know what brings him joy. I know what encourages him. I know him. I know him. And the crazy part is, he knows me. And he's not grossed out by that. Verse 4. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may t- participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. Other translations say, and to your virtue and to virtue knowledge. And look at all these things that are connected. To, to knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Growth markers. Wow. The source of one's immaturity is linked to a lack of obedience. One's maturity is linked to obedience. Proof, Hebrews 5.8, right before the warning. Boom, it's laid out right there. So just to remind ourselves, warning number three is be growing. Grow up. Look at your diet. So the question is, in warning number three, what about this be aware? What happened when a friend becomes a traitor? We're in the season of Lent. A time to get ready for Easter and prepare our hearts for, for Easter. And we're going to encounter, as we walk through the book of Lent and we think about Lent, we're going to encounter disciples, including one of the disciples that was with Jesus and was following Jesus by the name of Judas. Judas was there when Jesus cleansed the temple. Jesus, Judas was there when Lazarus rose from the dead. Judas was there. First-hand account of Jesus riding in on the donkey, and he betrayed Jesus. Question, what happens when you follow Jesus and you're close to Jesus and you betray him? Warning two, be aware of fallen saints. This isn't the first warning that's come in the book of Hebrews. It's not the first warning at all. We had the first warning in chapter 2. We had the second warning in chapter 3. This is the third warning. And there's two more to come. New Testament Lutheran scholar by the name of C.H. Lenski 
who's not only respected by Lutherans, but really across the board in the New Testament world, he said this. This is a hypothetical but very real possibility as opposed to let's pretend that the author is talking about. Hear that. It's not let's pretend. This is a hypothetical but very real possibility as opposed to let's pretend. As you dig in, you understand that it's probably not the readers that he's talking about because he uses the word beloved and dear friends, but he's talking about people that we know. Now, there are two different, vastly different viewpoints that if you have a study Bible, if you have a commentary, if you have, as you read this, you're going to see two different viewpoints. I'm going to camp on one. But respectfully, the first viewpoint understands these passages, this passage of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 6 as being those who did not know Christ. They weren't Christians at all. Because when you're a believer, you cannot lose your salvation. That's one point, and I do not want to bash that. I want to show great respect to that. And the reason why I differ from that and our understanding is, one, the verses that are used, specifically the verbs that are used, and secondly, how this fits into our overall understanding of a biblical framework. Look at some of the... The second viewpoint is this. If that's one viewpoint, is this describing people who have never known Christ? Or is this describing people that did know Christ and who fell away or apostatized? That's where I land, and here's the reason why. If you look at verse 2, it talks about people who have had cleansing rites or baptism. They've had the laying on of hands. They've, had the res they've seen the resurrection, know about the resurrection of the dead. These are early Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians. Maybe some of them even saw Jesus alive from the dead. But it is in verse 4, and the words that are in verse 4 that are, describe ones who are intimate with Jesus. One who has been enlightened means one who has been saved. One who has tasted the heavenly goodness of God means the salvation in Christ. And one who has received the Holy Spirit or the power of the coming age well, that's the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Then there's a strong word that's being used here that's, that just breaks my heart. It's used in a derivative sense, and it means to continually to present the impact of actions, dragging Jesus down from his throne and making him an all-time mockery. And they do so with knowledge, unlike those who crucified Christ for the first, first time. Those words, we can't get around this. This is a great mystery, and people have debated about this. So I'm not going to solve everything. I just want you to wrestle with the verbs and wrestle with the words that are there as I have wrestled with the words there, and then see it in the biblical framework, okay? We'll put this online, <clears throat> but in your bulletin, I want you to uh, open up your bulletin if you grabbed one. There is a chart that I have used for about 20 years, I've used this with couples that I meet for baptisms. I've used this with explaining confirmation, the gift of infant baptism. And I used this with my thesis, and a Baptist minister was my, was my supervisor, my, my advisor, a beautiful, wonderful, godly Baptist minister by the name of first name Ned. 
And he looked at me and he said, Kirk, are you telling me that baptism is not punctiliar? That means it's not one and done? I said, Ned, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. How many times have you seen a baptism where when the couple's here and we ask them four questions, we ask them this, do you desire to have your child baptized in Christ? And I'm waiting for one to say, well, duh, why are we here? They don't do that. And then I ask them more questions. Will you live your life as a model for your child in Christian faith? Will you expose them to the teaching and the worship of the house of God? And will you continue to grow? Will you continue to grow? Because of the seed that's planted here. And then the sponsors are usually here. And you've heard me say this before. You are authorized, deputized, licensed, and commissioned now to use this as your role. Will you ask mom and dad? Your little one is ready for Sunday school. Are they, are they signed up? Are they going to this great Bible camp that you show? Are they going on the missions trip? And I'll fund it. They usually don't see that question coming. Why? Because it's not punctilier. It starts there and it's grown and it's nurtured and it's watered and it's watered. And notice what happens when they get to adolescence. They begin, they begin to understand, understand sin and sin, sins and the power of darkness and a different worldview that we have and that Jesus' blood on the cross was finished forever. But notice what can happen. They can fall away. The Lutheran heresy is this. You're baptized, who cares how you live? That's a heresy. There's another heresy that says this. You accepted Christ at 13, who cares how you live? Both of them are wrong. Got it? But notice what that graph does. There comes a place where there's religious hypocrisy or there's willful rebellion. So many in this church have heartbreaking stories of those who have wandered from Christ. So pastor, help me. Help me. What do I do? If we were in my office, I'd say these three things to you. Pray, intercede, and fast till your last breath. Pray, intercede, and fast till your last breath. My devotions and Seek God for the City on Thursday. Maybe you're using that devotional. It's fantastic. It just jumped off the page on Thursday. It said, pray for those far from Christ to be nauseated by worldly enticements. Let them be hungry for the living God of the universe. Pray and fast till your very last breath. Number two is this. Recruit others to join you. You can even use this line in saying, do you love me? Do you love me? I'm asking that you would pray and fast and intercede on my behalf for this person. Will you pray with me? And number three is this. I just plead with you, approach the funk and keep the relationship going. Obviously, you need to understand about boundaries. I'm not saying about that. But approach the funk. Listen. Biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely one of the ugliest things in the world. There's a man by the name of Francis Schaeffer who was a Swiss thinker. He said this, biblical orthodoxy 
without compassion is surely one of the ugliest things in the world. Now, you come to a passage of Scripture like this, you come to uh, chapter 6, and there's some really hard words. It says, it's impossible. Pastor, what do you do with that? I don't know how to wrestle through the verbs and the participles and this chart. I know this. I know that God is just. I know he is faithful. And I will let my holy and heavenly Father sort it all out. But until my last breath, I will pray for those who I love. I will intercede. I will fast. I will invite others to pray with me. And I will approach the funk and keep the relationship. I encourage you to do the same. We end our message with these questions. Why do you think God takes apostasy so seriously? Because it's a serious thing. When you take an honest look at spiritual fruit in your life, where are you encouraged that God is at work and what concrete ways can you be earnest in faith this week? This is a personal question and brings tears to your eyes as it does mine. Who do you know in your life that has apostatized? How has that impacted your spiritual life? And finally this, how are you using the Bible in your life? Is reading and memorizing God's word producing faith in your heart, not just information about, but experience with the God of the universe? How can you invite the Holy Spirit to guide your understanding of scripture so you can respond with informed steps of faith? Oh, Father, this is a warning passage of scripture. Grow up. Be aware. Please, I ask, Spirit of God, that you take this message and equip the church. We desperately need your witness in this community. And can you use broken people like this, like us, like me? You do. Watch and see what God will do.